Chapter Forty of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty. The effects of an explosion. Mrs. Featherstone made no attempt to detain Mark and Mabel as they took leave of her shortly after that scene in the gold room, though her attitude at parting was conceived in a spirit of frosty forgiveness. In the carriage, Mark sat silent for some time, staring straight before him, moodily waiting for Mabel's first words. He had not long to wait. She had laid her hand softly upon his, and as he turned, he saw that her eyes were wet and shining. "'Mark,' she said, "'it is you I love, not that book, and now, when I know all it has cost you—oh, my dear, my dear, did you think it would make me love you less?' He could not answer her by words, but he drew her nearer to him, till her head rested upon his shoulder. And so they sat, silent, with hands clasped until they reached home. Seldom again, and only under strong compulsion, did Mabel make any reference to illusion. Nor was it long after that he suspected the depth and reason of her resentment against Vincent. He was content to feel that her love for himself was unchanged. But though she strove, and successfully, to hide it from her husband, this lowering of her ideal caused her a secret anguish. It had always been difficult to reconcile Mark as his nature seemed revealed in private life with the Mark who had written illusion. One of her dreams had been that, as their intimacy grew, all reserve would vanish, and he would speak to her of his inmost thoughts and fancies, which it seemed almost as if he thought her unable to appreciate as yet now all this was over there were no hidden depths to fathom in his mind no sublime heights to which she could rise such as she knew him now he was and must remain not a strong and solitary genius with lofty thoughts of which he feared to speak freely not a guide on whom she could lean unquestioning through life only a man with a bright but shallow nature impulsive and easily led even the quixotic honour which had led him to entangle himself in complications at another's bidding showed a mind incapable of clear judgment or he would have renounced the rash promise when it began to involve others sadly enough she realised the weakness implied in this and yet it only infused a new element of pity and protection in the love she felt for him and she adapted herself bravely to the changed conditions of her life after Holroyd had spoken, she had never questioned that his version was the true one, and Caffin's charge an infamous fabrication, whatever she might have been driven to think in that one instant of sickening doubt. To a more suspicious nature, perhaps, some of the facts connected with Vincent's visit to Laufingen might even then have presented difficulties, but if Mabel had remembered all that had occurred there more clearly than she did, she would have attached but little importance to it the loyal faith she had in her husband's honour would have been accepted as obvious a far less plausible explanation on the day following the rehearsal messrs chilton and fladgate were made aware of the facts relating to the authorship of illusion whereupon they both expressed a not unnatural annoyance at having been as they considered made the victims of a deception mr fladgate especially who had always prided himself immensely upon the sagacity which had led him to detect mark at once and who had never wearied of telling the story indulged in some strong observations 
vincent vindicated as well as he could the scheme in which he was the most guiltless of accessories after the fact and mark kept in the background and said as little as possible he felt distinctly uncomfortable however when mr chilton dryly inquired whether the same mystification attached to sweet bells jangled and on being reassured as to this observed that it was a little unfortunate that the matter had not been explained before the latter book had been brought out if you think you are prejudiced in any way mark said flushing angrily we can easily come to some other arrangement oh said mr chilton i was not thinking of it from a pecuniary point of view exactly we shall not lose much as far as money is concerned i dare say my partner explained mr fladgate was thinking of the results this will have had upon our reputation in the trade on which vincent tried to appease him by promising to make it abundantly clear that the firm were no parties to the concealment and as soon as the partners understood that it was not proposed to disturb any existing arrangements respecting illusion beyond disclosing the truth and having some necessary revisions inserted in any future edition they parted amicably enough though mark was made to understand his altered standing in the most unmistakable manner and in a few days by means which it is not necessary to particularize here the version of the affair given by vincent at grosvenor gardens was made known to all those who might find it of interest the announcement when it became generally known caused a certain amount of surprise and remark but not nearly so much as might have been expected hawthorne in his preface to the scarlet letter has remarked the utter insignificance of literary achievements and aims beyond the narrow circle which recognises them as important and legitimate and the lesson the discovery of this is to the man who dreams of literary fame if vincent needed to learn that lesson he learnt it then no fresh laurels were brought out for him and the old ones had withered already people were beginning to feel slightly ashamed of their former raptures over illusion or had transferred them to a newer object and they could not be revived in cold blood even for the person legitimately entitled jacob had intercepted the birthright and for this esau there was not even the rechauffe of a blessing the people who had lionized mark were enraged now and chiefly with holroyd the more ill-natured hinted that there was something shady on both sides or why should all that secrecy have been necessary but the less censorious was charitably disposed to think that ashburn's weak good-nature had been unscrupulously abused by his more gifted friend vincent's conduct if it showed nothing more than a shrinking from notoriety was sufficiently offensive such distaste being necessarily either cynical or hypocritical so upon the whole the reaction which attends all sudden and violent popularity and which had already set in here was if anything furthered by the disclosure but this did not greatly distress him neglect and fame were alike to him now that his lady had withdrawn her countenance from him he had resigned himself to the loss of the fairest dream of his life but it had been a consolation to him in his loneliness to feel that he might be her friend still that he might see her sometimes that though she could never love him he would always possess her confidence and regard not much of a consolation perhaps to most men but he had found a sort of comfort in it now that was all over and his solitude was left more desolate still he knew there was no appeal for him and that so long as mabel believed that he had sacrificed her husband 
to his deliberate selfishness she would never relent towards him there were times when he asked himself if he was bound to suffer all this misconception from the one woman he had ever loved but he knew always that in clearing himself he would lay her happiness in ruins and resolved to bear his burden to the end sustained by the conviction which every day became clearer that he would not have to bear it much longer as for mark the announcement of the true authorship of illusion brought him nothing short of disaster social and financial it produced a temporary demand for sweet bells jangled at the libraries but now that things had been explained to them the most unlikely persons were able to distinguish the marked inferiority of the later book those reviews which had waited at first from press of matter or timidity now condemned it unanimously and several editors of periodicals who had requested works from mark's pen wrote to say that as the offer had been made under a misapprehension he would understand that they felt compelled to retract the commission mark's career as a novelist was ended he had less chance of ever getting a publisher's reader to look at his manuscript the affair had associated his name with ridicule instead of the scandal which is a marketable commodity and might have launched him again his name upon a book now would only predestine it to obscurity mabel was made aware in countless little ways of her husband's descent in popular estimation he was no longer forced into a central position in any gathering they happened to form part of but stood forlornly in corners like the rest of humanity perhaps he regretted even the sham celebrity he had enjoyed for his was a disposition that rose to any opportunity of self-display but in time the contrast ceased to mortify him for most of the invitations dropped he was only asked to places now as the husband of mabel and in the height of the season most of their evenings were passed at home to the perfect contentment of both however mrs featherstone had given up her theatricals in spite of vincent's attempt to dissuade her she had lost some of the principal members of her little company and it was too late to recruit them but her chief reason was a feeling that she would only escape ridicule very narrowly as it was and that the safest course was to allow her own connection with the affair to be forgotten as speedily as possible but she could not forgive mark and would have dropped the acquaintance altogether if gilda had not in the revival of her affection for mabel done all in her power to keep it alive mr langton deeply as he had resented the misrepresentation which had cost him his daughter was not a man to do anything which might give an opening for gossip he repressed his wife's tendency to become elegiac on her daughter's account and treated mark in public as before but on occasions when he dined there en famille and sat alone with his father-in-law over dessert there was no attempt to conceal from him that he was only there on sufferance and those were terrible after-dinner sittings to the unfortunate mark who was catechised and lectured on his prospects until he writhed with humiliation and helpless rage at malakoff terrace the feeling at the discovery of mark's true position was not one of unmixed sorrow the knowledge that he was after all an ordinary being one of themselves had its consolations particularly as no lustre from his glorification had shone on them mr ashburn felt less like an owl who had accidentally hatched a cherub than he had done lately and his wife considered that a snare and a pitfall had been removed from her son's path 
Cuthbert thought his elder brother a fool, but probably had never felt more amiable towards him, while Martha wondered aloud how her sister-in-law liked it, a speculation which employed her mind not unpleasantly. Only Trixie felt a sincere and unselfish disappointment. She had been so proud of her brother's genius, had sympathised so entirely with his early struggles, had heard of his triumphs with such delight, that it was hard for her to realise that the book which had done so much for him was not his work after all. But the blow was softened even to Trixie, for Jack had been making quite an income lately, and in the autumn they were going to be married and live in Bedford Park. And of course Mark had done nothing wrong, she told herself, and he knew all the time what was coming, so she need not pity him so very much, and she was sure Sweet Bells was nicer than Illusion whatever people chose to say, and ever so much easier to understand. Several days had passed since the announcements with regard to illusion had appeared in the literary and other periodicals, and still Uncle Solomon made no sign, a silence from which Mark augured the worst. One afternoon Mr. Humpage came to see Mabel. He had heard of the whole affair from the Langtons, and reproached himself not a little, now that he knew how utterly without foundation had been his bitterness against Mark. Mr. Humpage did not approach the question from the Langton point of view, and was not concerned that Mabel should have married a man who had turned out to be a non-entity. He had done all he could to prevent the marriage in his resentment at finding the daughter of an old friend engaged to the author who had caricatured him, and his only feeling now was of complete reaction. The young man was perfectly innocent, and his nephew Harold had suspected it all this time, and never said a word to enlighten him. So now the old gentleman came in a spirit of violent repentance, which would not allow him to rest, until he had re-established his old relations with his favourite Mabel. She was only too glad to find the coolness at an end, and he was just expressing his opinion of the part his nephew had taken, when, to Mabel's dismay, Mr. Lightowler was announced. She wished with all her heart that Mark had not happened to be out, as she glanced apprehensively at her second visitor's face, and yet, as she saw almost at once, he came in peace. There was none of the displeasure on his big face which she had expected to see there. On the contrary, it was expanded with a sort of satisfaction. Mr. Humpage rose as soon as the other had seated himself, "'Well, my dear,' he said, lowering his voice, as he eyed his enemy with strong disfavour, "'it's time I went, I dare say. As to what I was saying about my scamp of a nephew, I only hope I did nothing to encourage him in the disgraceful way he chose to act. I never meant to, I assure you. But he won't trouble you any more for a little time, for I understand he's on his way with one of these theatrical companies to America, and I hope he'll stay there.' You'll get nothing out of me. I'm ashamed of the fellow, and heartily glad his poor mother was taken when she was. He had spoken rather louder in his excitement, and Uncle Solomon overheard it, and struck in immediately. "'What, has that nephew of yours been turning out bad, eh?' he cried. He was quite a child of nature in his utter freedom from all conventional restraints, as may have been perceived before this. "'You don't say, Humpage. Now I'm sorry to hear it.' "'I really am sorry to hear that. "'Not but what, if you look into it, "'you'll find there's been a backwardness "'in doing one's duty somewhere about, you know. "'Perhaps if you'd been more of an uncle to him now, "'if you don't mind my saying so, "'he'd have turned out different. 
you should have kept a tighter hand on him and as like as not he wouldn't have felt the temptation to go wrong i was speaking to mrs ashburn mr lightowler said the other turning round with a rather ugly snarl i heard you replied uncle solomon calmly that was why i spoke come come umpage don't be nasty we've been neighbours long enough to drop nagging it's no reason because i've got a nephew myself who knows his duty and tries to be a pride to an uncle who's behaved handsomely towards him it's no reason i say why i can't feel for them that mayn't be able to say as much for themselves i'm much obliged said mr humpage but i don't ask you or anyone else to feel for me i'm perfectly well able to do everything that's necessary in that way for myself oh certainly was the retort no one can say i ever intruded on any one i shan't take the liberty of feeling for you any more after that not if you had twenty nephews and all of them in the police news i promise you and talking of nephews mabel i wonder if you came across a letter i wrote to the chigbourne and lamford gazette a week or so back i meant to send you a copy but i forgot i forgot no said mabel unable to make anything of this extraordinary mildness i didn't see it didn't you now he rejoined complacently and yet it got copied into some of the london papers too i was told well i brought a cutting with me in case would you like to hear it mabel made some assent she always felt more or less paralysed in the presence of this terrible relative and he drew out a folded slip put on his spectacles and proceeded to read to the editor sir i write you for the purpose of putting you right with respect to a point on which you seem to have got hold of an unaccurate version of a matter which i may say i have some slight connection with in your issue of the inst i note your london letter prints the following paragraph society here is eagerly anticipating the coming performance at one of the most recherche mansions in belgravia of a dramatic version of mrs ashburn nay ernstone's celebrated romance of illusion i have been favoured with an opportunity of assisting at some of the rehearsals and am in a position to state that the representation cannot fail to satisfy even the most ardent of the many admirers of the book the guests will include all the leaders of every phase of the beau monde and a reputation of the play will probably be found necessary by the way it is a somewhat romantic circumstance that the talent displayed by the young authoress has already been the means of procuring her a brilliant parti which will remove all necessity for any reliance upon her pen for a subsistence in the future now sir allow me to correct two glaring errors in the above to start with the author of illusion is not an authoress at all his real name being mark ashburn as i ought to know considering i happen to occupy the position of being his uncle next it is quite true that my nephew has contracted a matrimonial alliance which some might call brilliant but i was not aware till the present that the party brought him enough to allow him to live independent for the rest of his life being under the impression that there would have been no match of any sort if it had not been for a near relative who shall be nameless here on the author's side coming forward and offering to make things comfortable for the young couple but he will have to rely on his pen for all that as he is quite aware that he is not expected to lay on his oars without doing anything more to repay the sacrifices that have been wasted on him kindly correct and oblige yours solomon lightowler the author's uncle 
you know he observed when he came to the end it doesn't do to let these sort of stories go flying about without contradicting them but i put it very quietly and delicately you see mabel bit her lip was it possible that this dreadful old man knew nothing how was she ever to break it to him mr humpage had listened to the letter with a grim appreciation you don't write a bad letter light or i must say he remarked with an irrepressible chuckle but you are a little behind the day with your facts ain't you what do you mean by behind the day demanded uncle solomon oh uncle anthony cried mabel you tell him i can't it is much to be feared that mr humpage was by no means sorry to be entrusted with such a charge but if he was not naturally kinder-hearted he was more acquainted with the amenities of ordinary society than mr lightowler and some consideration for mabel restrained him then from using his triumph as he might have done he explained briefly the arrangement between vincent and mark as he understood it and the manner in which it had lately been made known when he had finished uncle solomon stared stupidly from one to the other and then with a voice that had grown strangely thick he said i'll trouble you to say that all over again slowly if you've no objection my head began buzzing and i couldn't follow it all mr humpage complied and when he finished for the second time his hearer's face was purple and distorted and mabel pitied him from her own experience dear mr lightowler she said you mustn't blame mark he had no choice he had promised promised uncle solomon almost howled what business has he got to make a promise like that see what a fool he's made of me with that letter of mine in all the london papers i heard those manor-house girls giggling and laughing when they drove by the other day and thought it was just because they were idiots i just wished to god i'd let him starve as a city clerk all his days before i let him bring me into this i've lived all this time and never been ridiculous to now and he's done it oh, and that's not the only thing he's done either he's swindled me done me out of my money as i've earned i could have him up at the old bailey for it and i've a good mind to say i will too i'll stop said mabel you have gone quite far enough i know this is a great disappointment to you but i am his wife and you have no right to say such things to me no right he stormed that's all you know about it no right haven't i let me tell you that ever since i was made to think that fellow was a credit to me at last i've been allowing him at the rate of four hundred a year do you think i'd have done that for kindly lending his name to another feller's book do you think he didn't know that well enough when he took the money trust him for taking all he could get hold of but i'll have it back i'll post him as a swindler i'll shame him look here do you see this and he took out some folded sheets of blue foolscap from his inner pocket i was going to take this to ferret on my way home and it's the codicil to my will this is i was going to take it to get it altered for i've not been feeling very well lately i've not been feeling very well this was made when i thought mark was a nephew to be proud of ding him and i can tell you i left him a pretty tidy plum under it now see what i do with it no fire isn't there well it doesn't make any odds there and there and there and he tore the papers passionately across and across several times there's an end of your husband's chances with me and that don't make me intest it neither there's the will left 
and Mark and none of his will ever get a penny piece under it. He can make his mind easy over that, tell him. His coarse violence had something almost appalling in it, and at first Mabel had blanched under its force, but her own anger rose now. "'I am glad to think we shall owe nothing to you in future,' she said. "'If Mark has really taken your money, it was because—because because he had this secret to keep, but he will give it all back. Now leave this house, please. Uncle Antony, will you get him to go away?' Uncle Solomon, white and shaking, almost shrunken after his outburst of passion, was standing in the midst of a thick litter of torn paper, looking like a tree which has shed its last leaves in a sudden gust. "'Don't you touch me, umpage, now,' he said hoarsely. "'I'm quite capable of going by myself. Uh, "'I just say I let my temper get the better of me just now,' he said to Mabel, rather feebly. "'I don't blame you for taking your husband's part, though he is a—' "'I shall go off my head if I speak any more about it. "'I'll go. Where's your door got to?' let me alone i'll find my way i shall get rid of this dizziness out in the air and he stumbled out of the room a truly pitiable sight with the fondest ambition of his later life mortally wounded dear uncle antony cried mabel who felt almost sorry for him go after him do oh i know you're not friends but never mind that now he ought not to go home alone hot-headed old ass growled mr humpage but there there my dear i'll go i'll keep him in sight at the stations and see he comes to no harm mark had to hear of this when he came home that evening and you really did take his money cried mabel after hearing his account oh mark what made you do that mark hardly knew himself he certainly would not have done it if he had ever imagined the truth would be known perhaps his ideas of right and wrong had become rather mixed or perhaps he persuaded himself that if he did not exactly deserve the money yet he would not be long in doing so well darling he replied he would have been bitterly offended if i hadn't you know and i didn't know then that it was all done on account of illusion but after all i've only had one year's allowance and i'll give him back that to-morrow he shan't say i swindled him "'I think you ought to do that, dear,' said Mabel. But in her heart she felt a heavy wonder that he should ever have consented to take the money at all. Mark had received a fairly large sum for his second book, out of which he was well able to refund the allowance, and the next day he went down to Woodbine Villa, where instead of the violent scene of recrimination he had prepared himself to go through, a very different, if not less painful, experience awaited him uncle solomon had reached his house safely the day before but in relating what he had heard to his sister had given way to a second burst of passion which had ended in a seizure of some kind mark was allowed to see him on his own earnest entreaty but was struck with remorse when he saw the lamentable state to which his own conduct had had no small share in reducing the old man were the consequences of that one act of folly and meanness never to cease? He wondered wretchedly as he stood there. His uncle allowed his hand to be shaken. He even took Mark's cheque with his stiff hand, and made a sign that his sister was to take charge of it. He could speak, but his brain had lost all command over his tongue, and what he said had a ghastly inappropriateness to the occasion. He saw this dully himself, and gave up the attempt at last, and began to cry piteously at his inability to convey his meaning. 
whether he wished for a reconciliation then or nursed his rage to the last mark never knew he went down on several other occasions during his uncle's lingering illness but always with the same result mr lightowler suffered all the tortures of perfect consciousness combined with the powerlessness to express any but the most simple wish if he desired to undo the past in any way no one divined his intention or helped him to carry it out and when the end came suddenly it was found that he had not died intestate and the will after giving a certain annuity to the sister who had lived with him left the bulk of his estate to go into founding lightowler scholarships in the school for commercial travellers orphans the ashburn family were given trifling legacies mark however having seen fit to go his own way in life and render useless all the expense to which i have been put for his advancement was expressly accepted from taking any benefit under the will but mark had expected nothing else and long before his anticipations were verified he had found it necessary to consider seriously how he was to support himself for the future literature as has been said was now out of the question in fact its fascination for him had faded mabel had a fair income settled upon her but in ordinary self-respect he could not live upon that and so he sought about for some opening at first he had firmly resolved never to go back to his old school life after having done so much to escape from it but as he began to see that any profession that required capital was closed to him and business being equally impossible he was forced to think of again becoming a schoolmaster and then he heard by accident that old mr shelford was about to resign his post at st peter's and it occurred to him that it might be worth his while to go and see him and find out if the vacancy was unfilled and if there was any chance for himself it was not a pleasant thing to do for he had not seen the old gentleman lately and dreaded equally innocent congratulations and brusque irony according to the state of his information he went up to st peter's timing his arrival after school when the boys would all have left except the classes which remained an hour longer for extra subjects mr shelford always lingered for some time and he would be very certain to find him mark went along the dark corridors rather shrinking as he did so from the idea of being recognized by a passing member of the staff till he came to the door he knew mr shelford was still in cap and gown dictating the week's marks to his monitor who was entering them with a long-suffering expression on his face into a sort of ledger now we come to robinson the old gentleman was saying you're sure you've got the right place eh go on then latin repetition thirty-eight latin prose thirty-six if you don't take care master maxwell robinson will be carrying off the prize this term he's creeping up on you sir creeping up roman history and here he saw mark and dismissed the monitor unceremoniously enough he evidently knew the whole story of illusion for his first words after they were alone together were and so you've been sort of warming pan all this time eh that's all said mark gloomily well well the old gentleman continued not unkindly you made a rash promise and kept it like a man even when it must have been uncommonly disagreeable i like you for that ashburn and what are you thinking of turning to now mark explained his errand not very fluently and mr shelford heard him out with his mouth working impatiently 
and his eyes wrinkled till Mark thought how much he had aged lately. "'Well,' he said, pushing back his cap and leaning back in his chair, "'have you thought this out, Ashburn? "'You were rid of this life a short time back, and I was glad of it, "'for you never were fit for it. "'And now you're coming back again. "'I make no doubt they'll be very willing to have you here, "'and if a word from me to the council. "'But is there really nothing else but this? "'Why, I'm counting the days to my own deliverance now, "'and it's odd to find someone asking me to recommend him for my oar and chain.' no no a dashing young fellow like you sir can do better for himself than a junior mastership for his final goal take warning by me as i used to tell you do you want to come to this sort of thing sitting from morning to noon in this stifling den filled with a rabble of impudent boys do you think they'll have any respect for your old age and infirmities not they they'll call you old ashes for they're a humorous race boys are they'll call you old ashes or cinders to your nose as soon as they think you're old enough to stand it why they don't put any more kittens in my desk now they found out i like cats so they put black beetles do you like black beetles eh well you'll come to beetles in time it's a mistake ashburn it's a mistake for impulsive hot-tempered men like you to turn schoolmaster Leave it to cold, impassive fellows who don't care enough about the boys to be sensitive or partial. They're the men to stand the life. Here a demon voice shrilled, "Hello, shellfish, old shells, yah!" Through the keyhole, and his footsteps were heard down the flags outside, running for dear life. The old gentleman, crimson with rage, bounded to the door. "Stop that scoundrel! That impudent boy! Bring him back!" But the boy had gone and he came back panting and coughing. "'That's a commentary on what I've been saying,' he said. "'I'm an old fool to show I care, but I can't help it, and they know it, confound em. "'Well, to come back to you, Ashburn, you're married now, I hear. "'You won't find a mastership much support as time goes on, unless you started a boarding-house. "'The idea of never escaping from these young reference. Ugh. "'No, no, didn't you tell me once you were called to the bar?' not called corrected mark i have passed the examination though there is only the ceremony to be gone through why not go through it and try your fortune as a barrister then you're just the man for a jury we shall have you talking silk in ten years mark laughed bitterly how am i to live till i get a practice he said i've only a couple of hundred or so left in the world and that would scarcely pay for my fees and chambers for more than a year ah is that so i see said the old gentleman yes yes but see here ashburn start all the same with what you've got you knows how soon you may get work can't your father-in-law do anything for you and while you're waiting why not take some pupils under the rose eh i was asked the other day to recommend a coach for two young rascals who want to be forked into the civil service you could do that for them if you like and they'll bring you others and and i'm going to take a liberty very likely but i've put by a little money in the course of my life and i've no one to leave it to i don't know how it is but i feel an interest in you ashburn perhaps i want somebody to be sorry for me when i'm gone anyway uh, i wish you'd let me see you through any money difficulties till you're fairly started it won't be long now i'll wager you can treat it as a loan if you prefer i want you to give yourself a chance at the bar don't refuse me now or i shall take it unkindly mark was deeply touched he had not suspected mr shelford of really caring about him 
and the kindness and sympathy of this offer made him feel how little he deserved such friendship and then the familiar classrooms dusty and stuffy at the close of a summer day had brought back all his old weariness of school routine he had outlived his yearning for literary fame but he still wished to make a figure somewhere somehow why might not he do so at the bar in that line where solid learning is less necessary than the fluent tongue and unfailing resource which he felt he could reckon upon he shook the other's hand gratefully i don't know how to thank you he said you've put some heart in me again i will try my luck as you advise perhaps with coaching and the money i have by me i need not take advantage of all your kindness but there is no one i would come to for help like you when i can keep up no longer i'll take my call at michaelmas and they walked out together mr shelford taking his arm affectionately through the streets mark as has been said already had a certain knack of attracting interest and liking without doing anything either to excite or deserve them in the slightest and the old gentleman felt now almost as if he had gained a son he was anxious to prevent mark from returning to the old life because he had observed his unfitness for it he himself however in spite of his diatribes against boys and scholastic life was far fonder of both than he would have confessed and would miss them as a few who knew him best would miss him when the time came for parting from that day he became a frequent visitor at camden hill where he found with mabel the appreciation and tender regard which he had never expected to meet again on this side of the grave mark carried out his resolve of which his father-in-law approved allowing him to use his chambers during the long vacation the pupils came there and the coach's manner captivated them from the first and made the work easy for both they came out high on the list and were succeeded by others whose fees paid the rent of the chambers he took in the temple shortly after call night came and as he stood with the others at the benchers table and listened to the treasurer's address he felt an exultant confidence in himself once more he had been promised a brief from mr ferret who took this form of disapproving of uncle solomon's testamentary caprices and this time mark did not shrink from it he had read hard lately and with better results he knew that he should be at no loss for words or self-possession he had been a brilliant and effective speaker as the union debates have frequently proved and he looked forward now to entering the legal arena as the field for retrieving his lost name mabel should be proud of him yet he was deceiving no one now vincent was not injured by the fraud for he had his book back it was true that mabel did not suspect the real history of the transaction but it would do her no good to know that he had once made a false step caffyn was over in america and harmless wherever he might see fit to go his sting was drawn for ever no wonder then that he seemed to look round upon a cloudless horizon but that had been the case with him so many times since he had first complicated his life by that unhappy act of his and each time the small cloud the single spy of serried battalions had been slowly creeping up all the while he forgot that he generally did forget unpleasant reminiscences it never occurred to him that the cloud might be rising yet again above the level haze on the skyline and the hurricane burst upon him once more End of chapter 40